AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to NSPS Radio Hour. This is your host, Kurt Sumner. Thanks for joining us again today. I want to start the show by welcoming a new sponsor for the show, uh, Bogside is the name of the company. It's, they make field books. I think a lot of our uh, listeners know what field books are, and we still use them. And uh, Darren Levitt's my guest today. Welcome, Darren. Thank you. Uh, uh, folks like you and I certainly know, for sure. And uh, oh, by the way, in the in the educational side of things, uh, I hope you guys are still teaching people what field books are. <laughs> we we are to to the extent that uh, they turn them in for grades on a regular basis. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Well, Bogside has just joined us. It's a family owned company actually up in New Hampshire, and they contacted us uh, a while back about uh, doing some things. So we really appreciate their. Uh, they're joining as one of our sponsors for the show. It's, that keeps us going, and uh, we've we've been going now for a while. We hope we can do it further. So for the for the guest today, Darren is uh, one of the uh, famous Levitt brothers surveyors. Um, I, I, I threatened when when we were talking, Darren, uh, back and forth through the email. I'd want you to talk a little bit about the the surveying Levitt brothers because I don't know. Are you guys some kind of a a record, perhaps, with all, all the brothers that are surveyors? You know, I'm, I'm not sure. We've talked about that extensively, and uh, actually we had, uh, we're all at my house last evening uh, for dinner, which doesn't happen but uh, once every several years, and, and we were actually talking about uh, if that might be some sort of a record. I'm not sure. Uh, it could be. There's five of us. We're all surveyors and, and kind of came from different directions to get to where we're at today, but uh, it could be some sort of record. We we don't know. Yeah, that's that's pretty interesting and and pretty widespread too, geographically. It, it is. Yeah, we we basically were from coast to coast. Uh, one brothers uh, resides in Vancouver, Washington, and uh, two brothers are in uh, one in Northern Virginia and one in uh, West Virginia. So we've kind of covered, and then two in Idaho. So kind of covered the country best we can. So is, is Idaho's the, the home place, though, right? Idaho is home. We grew up yeah. on a small farm here in southeastern Idaho, and outside was kind of, I think, what drew us to remaining outside. But, uh, yeah, we uh, we all kind of went our own separate directions and all came back into the, in you know, full circle, if you will. What's, your, what's the age spread? So the oldest, uh, you know, without... Without divulging too much information, the oldest, <laughs> is, uh, which you know, is uh, sixty-seven, still working every day, doing his own thing, and the youngest is uh, forty-seven. Wow! Yeah, so there's uh, there's quite a gap. <laughs> there's there's more space between the older brother and the youngest brother, and me and my son. Yeah, I was under twenty when he was born. So. <laughs> Yeah, the the oldest brother. The first four of us were. Uh, well, I'm I'm the last of the first four, and then about uh, ten years later, our younger brother uh, was born, and so he's kind of followed the <laughs> followed everybody else. And and ironically, he has probably more licenses than the rest of us. <laughs> oh wow! So. Well, you know that that gave me an idea. Um, not too long ago, we were talking to some folks about who's the oldest surveyor, active surveyor in the country. 
and there's a fellow up in, uh, I think it's Minnesota, who is approaching 100, still working. And then uh, I, I knew, I had met Lloyd Baker before. I don't know if you know Lloyd. Yeah. Um, but Lloyd is, I think at this point, he's probably 105 or 6 or something like that. Uh, as far as I know, he's still surveying. Yeah, there's a there's a gentleman I I can't remember. There's a couple of gentlemen here in uh, Western Wyoming that uh, that were right up there in a the number of years yeah. as well. And, well, he would be one he, of them because I met him in Wyoming, so yeah. I'm sure he would. Lloyd would be one of those. Well, it's kind of funny, you know. You, you talk about uh, him being a uh, hundred years old and still working. His son, who's also in the business, is like seventy five. Wow! And and it's like. You know when will they ever stop? But it's, uh, <laughs> it, it, you know it's something that gets in your blood, and it's difficult to <laughs> difficult to get out. I guess the reason I brought brought that up was um, I put something in the newsletter about him and um, just you know what age of people. So maybe it'd be a good idea for me to put in the newsletter. I'll make a challenge to find out if there's any family that has more than five brothers who are active surveyors. So there you go. I think that'd be a great idea to do that. So it's kind of fun, you know. Back in uh, I can't remember the exact. It was either two thousand or two thousand two. One of the brothers wrote an article for PLB, kind of how we all kind of went our separate directions and kind of came full circle back into the industry. And and uh, as we were talking this weekend, he said, "You know, it's probably time I I update that that article and and kind of put some new things in it." To, kind of an update so he, he may be looking at that as well oh that'd be that would be interesting yeah for sure yeah, a lot of fun so what's the future looking like you got any any uh children coming along that are going to be interested or did they learn their lesson well i think they mostly learned their lesson I, you know, each, brother <laughs> has, each brother has a couple sons uh my son actually just uh just finished his master's degree in uh school counseling and so he's kind of on a different path Although counselors would be uh, well deserved, or at least uh, in, they would be uh, <laughs> welcome, I guess, in the surveying community. We, we oh yeah, and, <laughs> and as you well know from our experiences with the school counselors, they are a good group for us to be in contact with. Yeah, it's been one of those things that I've recently realized that it's a, it's an undertapped. Uh, from our perspective, from education side of things, it's really we've really underutilized that group. Yeah, for sure. And, and the experiences you guys had in were uh, Denver this year. Is that where it was? Yes. Uh, with the School Counselors Association, I think has been sort of a a boost, if not a kickoff, to this whole concept that that's sort of going around the country now in terms of using the topic of our conversation today uh, as a recruiting tool because of the the great success that you all had with the school counselors. It's, it's been interesting, you know, coming, you know, knowing very little about uh, school counselors in terms of, you know, they, they have so many things to deal with these days, you know, issues much more than than just the career counseling side of things. And so when we, we decided to kind of look into this, um, one of the things that, that we were looking at is school counselors now, uh, therapy has become, let me, let me back up, sand therapy has become a real, a real use. And they're using it in the classrooms and they're using it in their offices. And, and so as they, 
as they saw this sandbox, they they just naturally went to, uh, well, that's sand therapy. And albeit that it is therapeutic, it's much, much more than that. And so as they, as they started looking at that, understanding that it was more than just the therapy side of things, then they really started to get uh, excited that it was something that they could they could actually you know wrap their head around. Yeah, one. Of the, I think maybe another word I would add to the uh, characteristics of using the sandbox is hypnotic. Um, yeah. <laughs> particularly, yeah. you know, we were just in Texas with you uh, uh, what a couple of weeks ago now, and and that was the first time I'd actually been where the sandbox was being displayed and utilized, and I'm sure you guys have seen this everywhere you've been, but it was just amazing to me how people would come by and just almost get mesmerized by the whole thing. Yeah, it, it is, and, you know, from a surveying perspective, you know, when we when we try to explain to, to students or anyone, for that matter, the intent that this flat piece of paper we call a topo map uh, and that those squiggly lines on the map recall. You know, they, they represent changes in elevation and, and height from the map up, and they look at a flat piece of paper, and it's, it's difficult for them to visualize. But when I can transpose that onto sand, the you know, and actually change the shape of that, then they start to see you know, that's what we're trying to talk about. It's, it's really quite a teaching tool. And one of the things that I think struck me as much as anything during the demonstrations there um, was the fact that, we were doing it for a surveyor's conference and how uh, almost giddy-like or excited the surveyors who came by were. I mean, they, they were just, um, it was amazing to me, their reaction to the whole thing. Just they thought it was the coolest thing ever. Well, and, and because they understand contours and them, you know, over their own lifespan try to understand that, that this that flat map is representing, you know, three-dimensional objects, then for them it was like, this is what I've been trying to see kind of all of my working career. <laughs> it's just a great visual tool. It really is. Yeah. Uh, uh, speaking of that, you know, uh, Trish and Sarah were, were there with me at the conference, and, of course, they deal with uh, CST exams. They deal with the hydrographer's edu- uh, certifications and all kinds of th- stuff related to surveying. But they were making the remarks that they could actually kind of understand what that was all about now. I d- that was pretty cool, I thought, for, just for them yeah. because, you know, their exposure to actual surveying is, is pretty limited. And so it was great for them, too, because they now have a better sense when they're talking to people about about how these things work. Well, and, and that's kind of the exposure that we had there with the school counselors. It was similar in that, you know, when, when you explain to some counselors, you know, we're we're surveyors and, and they, you know, their comeback is, oh, well, you go door to door. And then when we try to explain, no, it's, it's, it's land surveying and it's boundary surveying and these different things. And then you start to show them what's going on from the mapping perspective. Uh, almost without exception, uh, they would say, they would kind of step back and say, you know, I know, I know three students right now that this would be perfect for, or I have a son or a, or a you know a nephew or whatever that you know this would be perfect for and it's it's that exposure it's that education from the professions side of things that we're trying to expose the rest of the world to because as you know we haven't done a real great job as a profession you know getting that word out um, for you know variety of reasons but we just uh, it's just an education thing to the it's a public education awareness really right and and 
you know, sometimes you get so involved in what you're doing and it's become routine, part of your life, part of, every, you know, every breath you take. Sometimes it's hard to articulate that to people um, yeah. because we we think about it, we take it for granted, and so sometimes it's hard to express all of those things to, to other people who don't have that same level of knowledge. And, and so it's great that we have something like this. And that, that was an interesting comment you made, though, about the teachers recognizing students right away who – because obviously they know who those students are. They deal with them every day. Um, so that's an even greater opportunity, I think, for us to be able to get them involved and, and other teachers as well. I think I've mentioned to you before, my, my, my son teaches a STEM-type course in, in high school, and, and, you know, the same kind of thing. They recognize what the capabilities and the interests are of their various students, so uh, they can look at that. And believe it or not, we're at the end of our first segment, so let's go take a break for a couple of minutes, and we'll be right back. Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, Get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800-438-0387, or go to quickstake.com, that's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com, and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today. This is Lawyer Liz. Join me each week as we discuss drones, the Internet of Things, and all the technology in between. It's Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz, Wednesdays at 2. Bogside Publishing. For over 38 years, this family-owned New Hampshire business has manufactured the most durable, rain-resistant, and most affordable made-in-the-USA field books for the land surveying and engineering industry. And Bogside Publishing is still doing it today. Demand Bogside Field Books from your supplier or go to bogsidepublishing.com for a list of exclusive Bogside dealers. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Darren, before we went to break, we were all through the last segment talking about the sandbox and people's interest in it and the school counselors and I guess maybe we should probably tell everybody what it is we, we've been talking about it as if everybody knows what, knows what we're talking about so maybe you could tell us how this all came about okay so uh, it's actually uh, the sandbox is referred to as an augmented reality sandbox and uh, several years ago in one of the courses that I was actually taking in our geosciences department they were talking about it and talking about making one. And so I was exposed at that time to a website um, out of uh, uh, UC Davis. The, uh, the professor's name is Krelos, if I pronounced that correctly. And uh, he's developed the software that allows this, uh, uh, allows the course to happen. And what it, what it does is the software and the algorithms in the software um, overlooking the sandbox. The sandbox, there's a sensor looking on the sandbox, which is nothing more than a Xbox 360 Connect, and then a projector that projects it, that little sense image down on the sand. And as you change the shape of the sand, then the contours update, and it's very rapid. And so it's uh, um, when I started looking at that, and then I 
had gone onto his website and and uh, he had put the specifications for building a sandbox on his website. All of the software that he's developed is uh, open source, and he has the specifications, the type of, you know, all the way down to, to how to calibrate step-by-step. Uh, step. And uh, so I was able to basically just go onto his website, download what I needed to, and, and build the sandbox here uh, here at the school. And, uh, and, and kind of the, the next is kind of history. I... The intent was only when I build it, it was only to be able to explain to my students in the, you know, in the university classroom setting, um, kind of what contours are all about, and, and let them kind of experience that. And that was really all I was thinking about. And then it became, well, why don't we start taking it to, you know, college fairs and high school classes and and other kinds of events. And so then that opened up another window to, to well, people really starting to kind of grasp this and they. They really enjoy it, like you mentioned. It was it's kind of mesmerizing, and it is therapeutic. You know, I, I I laugh with most people as they start to play in it. That you know, just make sure that you keep your shoes on. We we allow hands in the sandbox, but we <laughs> we have this point allowed feet to to be in there. But anyway, and, and so it it became much more than just a project where um, it's really taken off. Uh, and of course, thanks to NSPS, how the exposure to that. From the surveying perspective, it's just become, you know, astronomical, really. And I've seen, um, I think the only other place I saw one, and I actually didn't get to spend any time with it because I was running about all over the place, but I was at the North Dakota Surveyor Society Conference this past winter, and, and the school they have there had one. Um, they were demonstrating it to just the, the people at the conference. But I think that probably was the first time I I had actually seen it. I don't know how many other places have them now, but well, it's maybe been kind of interesting. As I as I started this, probably five years ago, four or five years ago, there were a few, and most of them were addressed on uh, UC Davis's website about some examples of what they'd seen and others that had built them. And now, within the last year, there's been many, many websites and others that have built it and on UC Davis's website now they've created a map so that anybody who has one can actually uh, drop a pin on the map where they're at and a person can go in and see you know where's the closest one to my facility and, and basically they're they're starting to dot the country in a lot of ways what we're finding though my experience has been most of them are in either uh, museums some kind of like uh, you know discovery centers and those types of things for kids and educational and or universities, but very few of them are mobile. <laughs> and so I, I started to think about that. You know, if this has got to be moving around, I've got to be able to modify it in such a way that that I can move it, set it up in a very short amount of time, and then uh, you know be able to of course dismantle it and ship it around. So. It's it's a little more unique than some, but it it moves quite well. Yeah, well, that's a, that's actually an aspect of it that I hadn't realized um, when we were talking about this. That I guess I, I knew what you guys were doing, and that that it was mobile, and and obviously you've taken it about, and now we're looking at taking it where next spring to Los Angeles or somewhere wherever the next conference is. Yeah, um, and so, and so I guess I had just sort of assumed. That it was originally set up to be mobile, but it it 
obviously was not. So that's that's another twist to it. Um, I guess that has obviously some impact on how you build it and how you can make it portable. Um, and I, I think, if I'm understanding correctly, that whole process of making it more portable is still a, a work in progress of sorts to try to how can we be most effective at, at being able to transport it. Yeah, it, and it really is. And when I when I build it based on the specifications from uh, UC Davis website, um, you know they're very specific on size, and of course the projector has to be mounted a certain height above that sand. And so I thought as I built this, thinking that I would be able to move it a little bit, I I built the top so that it could be removed, and I could put the top you know in the back of our suburban or, or whatever. What I didn't realize was that once I put 250 pounds of sand in that, that's that's not a box that you can lift off very easily. So <laughs> that, yeah. that that caused a little bit of, uh, of of rethinking. And so I'd always decided to put it on wheels, and so I beefed up the wheels a little bit. And now instead of taking the top off, I leave the sand in the box, and I, I roll it in and out of a – we have a small trailer. And so I can I can roll it in and out of the trailer without too much uh, problem. So it is the key it, to me is that it's, they've got to be mobile in order for them to be able to expose those that we obviously want to be exposed to. Right. And am I correct in thinking that from the sand perspective, um, if you had the box and you were going to ship it, and you went to you know maybe your school that you're going to is 50 miles away or what, depending on where you live or whatever. Um, that you can actually purchase the sand once you get on site sometimes? It's possible. I haven't tried too many different types of sand. I, I use uh, a sand that we actually pick up at a school supply place, and, and it's shipped in in, uh, you know, 25-pound boxes. Mm-hmm. But uh, for the most part, uh, and I've had people tell me, well, you know, we've just used concrete sand or we've just used, you know, uh, masonry sand kind of thing. And I would imagine that it's that anything will work. The lighter our experience has been, the lighter the sand, the better because uh, it shows the lights from the projector, you know, a lot more clearly. So lighter in terms, you mean lighter in terms of color? Yes, yeah, a yeah. light white sand. Ours is a white sand rather than a gray, you know, a gray or a darker sand. But uh, I don't know. I haven't used anything other than the white, so I'm not sure. Did I did I hear somebody talking about? You could go to some particular, I don't know what store it was, that that maybe sold the kind of sand you're talking about. Uh, uh, it's possible. I have had several people tell me um, that it just looks like uh, mortar, you know, masonry sand. Mm-hmm. When we were in when we were in Texas, uh, it was really comical. They there were several of the of the surveyors, of course, that had been around. Uh, the oil fields, and there were several that said, "Oh, that's just fracking sand." <laughs> and so, so I, I, I guess it—I guess it could be. I just don't know. I'm not that familiar with the fracking sand component, but right. it—it's uh, just a, a very fine, uh, sparkling sand, really. Yeah, that's the other thing I was going to ask you about in terms of uh, consistency. I mean, what it was almost like powder. It felt like to me, um, yeah. it was so fine. Yeah, it's, it's very fine, and it's it's the same stuff that they use in their sand trays and sandboxes, and and if you add a little bit of water to it, then of course it it can be a little bit more you know moldable. Um, I just I use a spray bottle to keep the keep the dust down because it does create some some dust, but 
but for the most part, it's uh, you know, it's just good old sand. <laughs> so, do you find yourself? I assume this is so. When people are coming around, it's almost like you're telling the same the same story over and over again because everybody that's coming in is totally oblivious to, to how it works. So, uh, I, I don't. If it's like other kinds of serving, you never get tired of telling the stories, though. <laughs> so. Well, and, and that's really true. But as I tell that story over and over and over again, the dialogue has morphed quite a bit over time based on, you know, I've, I've been able to see if it, if it will work for a particular scenario, then why won't it work for a, a different? And so some people get a little bit different version, but for the most part it's, it's similar, what it is, what we do, what, you know, what we're trying to use it for. And then depending on the group and, and uh, you know, the, the nature of who you're talking to, um, I actually morph that quite a bit into more of a design, engineering, um, even construction kind of a discussion. And, and, you know, even those that are involved, they see a real application there as well. Yeah, because uh, I was... Go ahead. I was just going to say there's been several that have said... Um, that have been associated with engineering firms that have said to me, you know, I'd like to put one of these in my office. <laughs> so, you know, just to, to teach the new engineers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, that, that, that makes sense for sure. And, and I'm sure your audience also, um, the makeup of the audience, it brings in the different kind of questions. And I'm, I'm certain if you go to surveying conferences like the one in Texas there, you probably, get a lot more, uh, for lack of a better term, analytical type questions than you might from people that are just awed by the whole thing. Uh, yeah, surveyors yeah, are really inquisitive, do. so they're going to know, want to know, well, how's that supposed to work kind of thing. Yeah, and, and they'll stand back and, and they'll look at you like, now, tell me how this really works. You know, this, this is kind of mad. <laughs> yeah, this and is smoke and mirrors. And <laughs> yeah, they kind of look at them. That, you, you can't really be. That's really not happening. <laughs> one of the one of those things that's really kind of a kind of a draw to to so many is that not only can I change the shape of the ground and 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 change the contours as I as I build the mountain the higher the sand gets the wider it gets and so it's color coded basically you know I I relate it somewhat to a rainbow that that one color of the rainbow is is white in this situation and the other color of the rainbow is blue and so it goes from blue to white as it comes up the mountain as the, as the contours increase in, in elevation. But the thing that really grabs a lot of the interest is um, in, the, in the software it's built in uh, that if you uh, interrupt the signal from the sensor, from the Xbox Connect, it simulates a rain cloud. And so as you move your hand across the sand, the rain follows your hand. And so... Then you start the whole notion of uh, water and water storage and hydrology and the and whole have other. To, yeah, but, right, uh, we're going to have to go to break, so let's pick up on okay. that part when we come okay. back because that's a really interesting okay. part of it. I, I enjoyed good. that. We'll be right back. Okay. Field books. There is a difference, and the difference is made in the USA by family-owned and operated Bogside Publishing in New Hampshire. For over 38 years... The family business has produced the finest, most durable, rain-resistant, and most affordable field books in the land surveying and engineering industry. Demand the best from your supplier 
Bogside Publishing Field Books. Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800-438-0387, or go to quickstake.com, that's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com, and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. Bogside Publishing. For over 38 years, this family-owned New Hampshire business has manufactured the most durable, rain-resistant, and most affordable made-in-the-USA field books for the land surveying and engineering industry. And Bogside Publishing is still doing it today. Demand Bogside Field Books from your supplier or go to bogsidepublishing.com for a list of exclusive Bogside dealers. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. We were talking about elevations, uh, Darren, when we went to break, and, and again, that was another one of the things that was, intrigued me so much when we were looking at the box there a couple of weeks ago was the fact that, like you said, you put your hand to between the light and the sand, and it's like clouds going over and then rain forms, and then as you move the sand around and make the elevation higher, it's like it turned to snow, and that, that whole phenomenon just blew me away. Maybe you can tell us about that. Yeah, so it's, you know, and it's kind of interesting, and like you say, that there's something about, and it's, you know, the water, the rain is just as blue as blue, and so the contrast of the blue on the on the brown and, and the, the white and different colors of sand really jumps out at people, and, and the, the way the software is written is that as that, as that water comes down, you know, it, it actually, based on, you know, velocity, if you will, where the, where the water comes down into the low spots, it'll actually splash up the side and then come back down into the into the water into the low spot and so you start to see kind of this whole notion of what water is going to do when it when it melts and or, or you know when it flows and one of the things that I that I try to explain a little bit is um, this whole notion at least in in and around the area where we live this whole notion is you know we need snowpack for summer spring and summer irrigation and so we talk about this theoretical, what happens if 10 feet of snow fall on the top of this mountain? How much water does that equate to? And if when it comes down, where is it going to go? And so you kind of simulate that with a cloud, and you can see that, well, some of it's going to run one direction and some of it's going to run another direction. And we talk about, you know, the storage capacity. If there's, you know, what is, what is that water content in the snow? Well, one year it may be you know, two feet in one year, maybe two inches, you know, based on that whole water content. And so we, we theoretically, we can talk about being able to maintain or, or calculate, if you will, the amount of snow coming down from the water and the storage capacity that we have in the reservoir. And then we talk about, well, as it comes down, at what point do I open up the head gates in the reservoir and allow that water to go downriver in order for me to be able to capture what water is coming down off the mountain 
you know, come spring, summer. So it's there's a whole bunch of discussions that that it really opens up, and and albeit that it's theoretical, it it helps, I believe, helps others understand, you know, really what we're talking about, and that this snow coming down off the mountain, even though it's up on the mountain, doesn't mean that we're going to get the luxury of using it all because what doesn't go on the ground or what doesn't evaporate may come down into our reservoir and some of it may go to the other side of the mountain. So anyway, it's this whole visual that, again, is, is just really hard to picture any other way. Yeah, do you, when you're going through that particular exercise with, with people who are not surveyors, I mean, obviously surveyors are eating that up 100%. Is, do you have difficulty in conveying that message? Or I, it would appear to me that the, the way the, the box works, it's, it's like a picture right in front of you. So when you're explaining it, it would seem that it makes it easier to explain. It, it really does. And, you know, and, and just this last week, I, I, uh, we were at a uh, college, uh, it was the Eastern Idaho College Fair, basically, and so it's, a, it's a high school students primarily looking at colleges, looking at careers, looking at you know education possibilities, a lot of parents. But as they would walk by and that part of the discussion came out, many of them understood it because you you know if you, you live in and around an area where we do, which is so agriculture driven that water becomes the lifeblood of you know many, many things. and so, when you start talking about snow and snow melt and reservoir storage, that's something that even the youngest of kids really start to grasp quite early in, in age because they, they understand that if there's no water in the river, you know, those crops are not going to grow kind of a thing. And so it's really, it's a, it's a discussion that I've had with even middle school kids that, that they really get because they understand that, you know, they understand the agriculture side of things. Yeah, they, they're, their livelihood, so to speak, is is attached to that, whereas all of our livelihood is. But for people who don't live in the the environment you guys are in, they don't necessarily see it firsthand. Yeah, and so yeah, it's difficult for them to understand that. You know, what do you mean you don't have to turn sprinklers on to water your corn? <laughs> you know, yeah, it's it, you know, it's one of those things where we we have to. We're so dry. I mean, we're basically high desert, and so we have to have that water. And so that whole discussion becomes really pretty meaningful. Another thing that that I saw a lot of people's eyes brighten up with was uh, just moving around, and whether you're using the little uh, caterpillar tractors that you had, or just moving the, the sand around with your hand, and showing people how how you know the water flow changes, the contours change. Um, that's such a great tool, too, to help people understand, again, part of what we do as surveyors, but also what's around them. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I, that I really use that scenario for is to help students understand, well, anybody understand, but primarily students because that's who I am, but that, that water will run perpendicular to those contours. And if, if you're going to be changing the shape of something, and that the contours change, you've got to know that that water then is still going to run perpendicular to the contours. So one of the scenarios I use in the classroom especially, and I've used it in, in other settings, but if I have if I have a sandbox, you know, the sandbox represents a piece of property that I want to develop, and right now as the rain falls, that water basically is going to go into the ground. But as soon as I put a building on that, 
and maybe a parking lot, then the explanation is, well, where does that water go now? It can't go into the ground where it had been. I've created impervious surface now with the building and the parking lot. How can I, what have I got to do with that water? And, and they'll say, well, just let it run off. Well, many states have laws that regulate that if you create an impervious surface, you've got to maintain that water on your own on your own property. And so it gives us a notion to say, okay, well, where do we set the building in terms of elevation? And how do we grade our parking lot? And then once we grade that parking lot and when the water comes down, how do we capture that water and store it so that we're not violating some sort of code or, or state law that, you know, we're draining over onto a neighbor's property? So it's this whole design process that allows us to say, I can change these contours, but if I change the contours, I still need to re- remember that they're, that water is going to run perpendicular to them, even across a flat parking lot. And so, it's, it's again, it's another picture that hopefully brings into reality what we're trying to teach. Right. And I'm, I'm, I'm thinking as you were having talking about what you were just saying there, um, do you think it would be worthwhile at all if if someone were going to use this at a conference, not like like the school counselors, for example, or even at a demonstration? You know, a lot of our surveyor groups go out in the in the mall sometimes, and people just come by and they do demonstrations for them, those kind of things. Um, do you think it would be helpful if we had some rudimentary kind of bullet point script type thing that that would help people make sure they cover? Because when you were just talking about the, the whole part about the contours and the change in the land, the development, obviously that all relates to surveying. And uh, I'm wondering, and as you were as you were talking there, if it would be worthwhile to just have some basic kind of script to say, let's talk about these things. Yeah, it's, it, it could be one of the things that uh, that I think about as you ask that question is, uh, well, it, it may depend on who who you're talking to, and so that that script may be fairly flexible mm-hmm. in that if you're you know if you're in a in an elementary school you're obviously going to talk about it a little bit differently than you would in a you know in a university college career fair or whatever but sure. yeah it, it's uh, uh, what I've found is that I as I started talking about this and I always relate it back to back to GPS when GPS first came out and that is we started using GPS and I'll, I'll give you a quick example if you've got a, a minute when when the when the EDM first came out, I was working with a gentleman mentor uh, that uh, you know taught me a ton. And when the EDM first came out, we'd, we'd measure distance, and he'd say, "Well, go get the chain. Let's check that." And so we'd run over the truck, we grabbed the chain, and we checked the you know ninety nine feet you know the distance we just shot with the EDM to to build this notion of okay, we can we can trust this now. And, and then as GPS came on, it was the same thing. We GPS, we'd shoot two points, and we'd, we'd do an inverse between these two points, and we'd say, well, you know, go get the EDM. Let's check that distance between those two. Just, let's just make sure that they're correct. And and so we started seeing that, well, if GPS works for this, then it's going to work for this, and then it's going to work for something else. And, and so as I start this discussion with this crazy sandbox, you know, my intent was, well, it's, it's going to work to show kind of what contours look like. And as I've used it and understood it more, you start to morph in your thinking that there's so many more applications that, that you can actually use this for. And so when I talk about, think about a script, that script in my mind 
will continue to morph over time based on somebody's going to have an idea that says, well, shoot, you could use it for you know, X, Y, Z, whatever. But, uh, but primarily the, the bottom line is the basics and the basic script would be probably pretty beneficial to, to have for sure. Yeah, I would, I would think so. And, and what that also does is develops a level of consistency. Um, in in yeah. terms of of the message we're carrying wherever it goes, yeah, for sure. And as you said, the, it would be adapted to some degree if somebody's in the high desert or if they're in the Blue Ridge Mountains. <laughs> so that's, that's uh, right. So that, so that certainly the, would. No, go ahead. I, I was just going to say. So, in terms of, of the of the Blue Ridge and the, and the Eastern scenario. You know, rather than talk about storage, it may be more about erosion. Mm-hmm. And we talked about, you know, we talked about water and, and what it does when it when it comes down too fast. And, you know, that whole scenario in terms of, you know, a good old East Coast rainstorm. And when all that water comes down, where's it going to go? Yeah. So, yeah, there's some great possibilities. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I guess another component then becomes, although you can't do this physically, um, the in a forested area, you'd have a little different impact than you would in the high desert, obviously, when the rain comes down. Um, I don't know how you explain that with the box, but but that that becomes a part of the of the conversation for sure, or at least a part of what your your dialogue is going to be about um, as it applies to the land that the people you're talking to are are dealing with yeah you know one of the things that we look at our our first two years here at idaho state university our first two years of our bachelor's degree we have an associate degree and a bachelor's degree in the first two years which is the associate is civil engineering technology and then of course they move into surveying and engineering geomatics technology on the four-year side but we also have some materials classes in our first two years that allow us to talk about Stability of soils and compaction. And and believe, and it or not, believe it or not, we're at another break. This time is just going way too okay. fast. So okay. we'll, we'll come back and pick up on the curriculum uh, in our last segment when we come back okay. in just a couple Sounds of minutes. Sounds Thanks. Field books. There is a difference, and the difference is made in the USA by family-owned and operated Bogside Publishing in New Hampshire. For over 38 years, the family business has produced the finest, most durable, rain-resistant, and most affordable field books in the land surveying and engineering industry. Demand the best from your supplier, Bogside Publishing Field Books. Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800-438-0387, or go to quickstake.com, that's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com, and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today. This is Lawyer Liz. Join me each week as we discuss drones, the Internet of Things, and all the technology in between. It's Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz, Wednesdays at 2. Bogside Publishing. For over 38 years, this family-owned New Hampshire business 
has manufactured the most durable, rain-resistant, and most affordable made-in-the-USA field books for the land surveying and engineering industry. And Bogside Publishing is still doing it today. Demand Bogside field books from your supplier or go to bogsidepublishing.com for a list of exclusive Bogside dealers. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Well, it's hard, I, I, sad to say that we're coming up on our last segment today, <laughs> Darren. It's gone really fast. But you were talking about curriculum uh, when we left, and I want, you want to finish that up. And, and then before the segment's over, let's talk a little bit about building one of these things. Okay. So what I was kind of getting to was that uh, one of the other options that uh, I've used it for, we have materials classes in our civil engineering technology portion of our four-year degree, which allows us to talk about, you know, soil stability and compaction and and uh, this whole idea of what what kind of material do we need to have in order to build things on top of and so it gives it puts me a, or it gives me another option to uh, to talk about you know that whole side of things which is completely different in a, in a lot of ways and, and when I build my building you know albeit it's a sandbox and and we you know we try to stay away from sand but but it still it gives them the kind of the picture of this whole notion of stability and compaction and moisture and that sort of thing. Absolutely. So I know when you began to think about building, uh, and I don't know if you had to redo everything you had uh, uh, in place for this traveling show kind of thing, but if people are going to do this, give us a little primer on how they start. So like I mentioned earlier, that all of the software which is loaded onto it's a Linux-based open-source software, and uh, it it can run on a laptop. I'm actually going to kind of looking at some things to morph this to make it even a little more transportable. But the reality is, on UC Davis's website, all the specifications for size, dimensions, amount of sand, you know, calibration, everything that's necessary to to build one is, is on their website. So what I did is, knowing that it was going to be transportable and and having made some recent modifications, um, I wanted to be able to put it into a a crush-proof container or a tote that I could actually actually ship. So I use a lot of, um, well, the structure is referred to as an 80-20, but it's it's slotted uh, aluminum that allows me to adjust things up and down and then I can I cut it into pieces so that it's short enough that I can, you know, bolt it together with with uh, brackets to make it uh, to you know to get it to its necessary height. So the the modifications really is uh, I think are limited to the person that's actually going to be using it. Um, yeah, it's they're they're really pretty flexible, and you, you kind of have to look at it with a different set of glasses. I think a little bit to make sure that you're not going to be damaging anything as you move it because there's some components on there that are, you know, expensive. Sure. Yeah, and and so that and that's an important element because as we were talking earlier in the show, um, there's been a lot of interest um, in the last couple months or so among our board in particular 
and then taking that back, you know, our board's made up of representatives from all the states, and and taking that idea back to their state societies and saying, how do we how do we build one of these, and and how we're going to use it, um, and and I don't know how problematic that becomes because with the the level of interest you guys got from the school counselors, uh, almost everybody said, "When you can you bring it to my school?" So it almost yeah. it, it could become a full time job for somebody almost if if uh, if that kind of reaction came from um, other sources. And I don't know. I'm sure there are probably local events, even if you took it to a school and talked to the counselor and maybe somebody in one of the shop classes or the, the class like my son teaches or something um, where there could be a demand for this thing pretty regularly. Yeah, and, and we're seeing that uh, anytime you know, STEM is such a, uh, a buzz in the education world that anything that's related to STEM, this really is, is applicable to it. We talk about, uh, I've had several uh, physical science teachers, you know, ask me about, well, what about bringing it into my science class? Because we talk about contours, we talk about rain, and we talk about, you know, this whole uh, drainage scenario. So the applications, I think, are, are completely open. Uh, I think the surveyors, we, we grasp it so readily because it, it is what we do, you know. We, we understand contours probably as well, we hope, as well as, you know, anybody out there. And so... You know, when we try to explain those, it's difficult to explain without actually being able to see the the, the notion of the picture speaks a thousand words is is really kind of what we're talking about here. Oh yeah, you know, one thing I was going to ask earlier, you were talking about uh, helping students understand if you're going to put a building down or you're going to put a parking lot down, and uh, so it becomes impervious and that kind of thing. Is is there any kind of application or or models or something that could possibly be used with it that would demonstrate that kind of impact? I mean, I, I, it seems to me that would be hard to do, but it, I just, the thought just came to my mind, is that even possible? Uh, yes, it is. matter of fact, that, that's what I'm in the process right now. So um, to, to throw a little plug in, when we were down in Denver, um, just down the way in our, uh, at the exhibit area, Caterpillar was down there, obviously, talking to counselors as well. And, and I happened to run into a couple of the people, and I, I had a little plastic uh, dump truck, little Caterpillar dump truck that I'd gotten here locally. And they said, well, you know, if you're going to use that, let us get you a, a real metal one. I said, well, that'd be great. But, you know, I, I, I think I told them I'm not going to pay for it. But anyway, so they, they ran down to their booth, and they brought me a couple of their little metal. There's a metal scraper and a little metal grater. And, and started talking and said, you know, we'll give you these if you'll talk about Caterpillar when you're talking about your sandbox. And so so we have. And so in the process, what I've done is they're an actual scaled model of the real, of the real you know, equipment. And so I'm in the process of 3D printing a building at the same scale so that I can actually take that scale, that 3D printed building, and lay it, set it in the sandbox to help them visually see, you know, scaled kinds of things that here's my scraper and here's my grader and here's my building. Now what have we got to do in order for it to, you know, to create this development, if you will, and uh, make it all work. So kind of trying to make it a little more real as, as I go forward here. Oh, yeah, that's that's a perfect uh, application for it. Um, and, and as you said, it's to scale. So 
you can actually show the not just the theoretical impact, but the, show the actual impact. Yeah. So the the other calculation that I'm working on right now is fairly simple, but using that same scale, I'll come up with the number of acres inside my sandbox because oh, I know yeah. the dimensions of my sandbox. So and and no, and that that brings me to a whole other teaching opportunity, and that is you know volumetrics. As I start to you know the cuts and the fills for development, then we can start talking about moving moving material and if I don't have enough material to, to satisfy my fill, where's it gotta come from? Or if I've got too much material, where's it gotta go? And and the costs associated with moving that material, you know, on site or off site. And again, that opens up a whole nother line of discussion for us. Yeah, and that's so much I won't say greater, but it's certainly a great augmentation to What's in the books, right? Because yeah. you can you yeah. can actually show that application without having to go out on a on a site someplace. Yeah, and we can. Yeah, exactly. Well, I, we've got a three or four minutes left here, but I, I want to make sure that I, I express the appreciation that we have at NSPS for all that you're doing, and and really to the school. Um, your school has been fantastic in in working with us to do what we've been able to do so far, and I want to make sure that we uh, we express our gratitude well enough. Well, it, it's appreciated, and, and like I mentioned earlier, you know, when when you have the passion for something as great as I do for this, and of course, it's been instilled in me through family roots, obviously. Um, you know, and you could imagine sitting around a campfire. What kind of our what our discussions are like? It's probably pretty boring <laughs> for the outsider. But, but the reality is, it's uh, it's been something that's been it's been a profession that's been great for us as a as a family, me individually um, as well. But when you have the passion that you do, you're going to do everything you can to make sure things progress and and remain you know uh, viable. Um, and so, with the whole notion that that uh, our average population is, you know, is aging rapidly, you know, I'm all about being able to keep that pipeline full as much, much as we can. And and if the marketing that we've been working on for the last several years uh, hasn't been as effective as it could have been, then um, then we need to find ways to to make it uh, more meaningful. And and I I believe this is one of those items that. Um, it, it, that that fits the bill for for our moving forward, I believe. Oh, I agree wholeheartedly. Um, you were you were talking about sitting around the campfire. I'm sure with the uh, geographic uh, diversity of the the surveyors in the family, you guys have a lot of conversations about this is how we do it out where we live. We we do, and having having had the luxury myself, well, four of us. Four of the five of us have actually worked in both uh, public land states and meets and bounds states, and and uh, had an opportunity to work for uh, for a company there in Northern Virginia for several years. And you know, you appreciate what those that have gone before have done, and it's very difficult to to help others understand the magnitude of of what those early surveyors did and the importance of you know their mark, if you will. That they've left, you know, on the earth, and and where we're moving for or moving, falling behind them, and so it's a it's a big deal. Our conversations are are interesting, of course, um, but nonetheless, they're they're all related. <laughs> yeah, that's true, and and 
every time I get into a situation where I'm looking back and following what other people have done at whatever era it may have been, um, I'm always um, astonished is not the right word. Uh, proud maybe is a good word, but certainly appreciative of the quality of the work, regardless of what what equipment was available or whatever. It's just uh, amazing, actually. It, it is. It's phenomenal. You know when you when you can you know take the the latest and greatest technology into the field and and measure you know miles between stones and find out that they're within just feet it, it, it is astonishing when you talk about what the terrain is between those two monuments <laughs> it's right. pretty amazing it is it's it's astonishing really that uh, sometimes it makes you think boy they must have had a whole lot uh, higher level of intellect than we have because all we have to do is push the button and <laughs> so it really makes you appreciate uh, every everything that's gone before us and that's one of the beauties of surveying I think is that you get that opportunity to have that appreciation for those that that came before and did all the things so we're we're 30 seconds out so I need to make sure I spend enough time thanking you for being with me today Darren it's been great yeah. it's been a great conversation you know, sir. If there are additional questions, anybody, they can reach out to me. I'd be more than happy to visit with them. And, and if we're close enough in proximity to, to help them out, we'd, we'd surely like to do that. I'm, I am working with some people in Texas to make this happen in a, on a larger scale for them. So, uh, yeah, let them reach out. They're welcome to reach out to me. Will do. Well, thank you so much. It's been great having you on the show today. I really do appreciate you joining me. Thanks, Kurt. Take care. Okay, you too. Bye-bye. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Field books. There is a difference, and the difference is made in the USA by family-owned and operated Bogside Publishing in New Hampshire. For over 38 years, the family business has produced the finest, most durable, rain-resistant, and most affordable field books in the land surveying and engineering industry. Demand the best from your supplier, Bogside Publishing Field Books. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. Quick Stakes. Does your survey supply dealer have quick stakes? If not, demand that they start carrying quick stakes. Did you know that quick stakes are better for your back than your local chiropractor? Lightweight and easier to use than the old heavy wooden stake. Order a sample today and prove it to yourself. Quick stakes, your back friendly stake. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like.